you enter the unholy of unholies. There stands his icon, a statue of jet-black obsidian whose spread wings nearly encircle the 60-foot room, Orcus, the demon prince of undeath, the blood lord, his head like the skull of a goat, its flesh nearly rotten away. The caustic energy of undeath has been a constant background noise on your journey through Orcus's temple, like a thousand distant bees. Here it rises to a fever pitch, an unending scream battering at your eardrums, clawing at your sanity. Chained at the statue's cloven feet is the broken, bleeding, but unmistakable body of an angel, Servindictus, her wings shattered, her divine light beaten down to a shadow of its former glory. She is the reason you've risked body and soul to come, and she is bound to the Blood Lord. Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the weekly podcast where game designers show us their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. Anthony Joyce is an Emmy-nominated adventure designer publishing on the DMs Guild and an instructor on the RPG Writers Workshop. He's created best-selling adventures for Dungeons & Dragons, including Elminster's Candlekeep Companion, The Little Astronaut, and Weekend at Strahd's. Yes, that Strahd, and yes, Weekend at Bernie's, it's amazing. He's also a generous and tireless advocate for independent writers and designers, and that's just in his free time. So in my real job, I am a major in the Army. I'm an Army strategist. Right now, I'm just leaving the Pentagon where I was working on COVID operations there to respond to the pandemic. But uh, aside from that, I do game design, mainly on DMs Guild, where I'm at, and I consider myself mainly an adventure designer. I started my D&D design process on a series of adventures called The Air of Orcus. They were Adventures League modules, and they talk about this demon who is the daughter of Orcus and an Angel of Tear. In the Forgotten Realms setting for D&D, Tyr is a good-aligned warrior deity of justice and law, the near-perfect opposite of Orcus. Both are among the oldest parts of Forgotten Realms lore, and references to them are scattered throughout 40 years of D&D sourcebooks. It's kind of the idea that I had of, if I could make a canon villain or monster for D&D, this would be the Air of Orcus. The Air of Orcus is someone you would never really see. She's a shapeshifter. Her entire idea is built on deceit, trickery, charming people, turning them against their their own values to fall as, as creatures, if you will. So she'll start to show herself in a form that's not herself. It'll be a trusted friend, an ally, someone that person cares about. Maybe there's a feuding business partner and she takes the form of one business partner and commits fraud and brings the business down and has the other business partner turn against them. Maybe she takes the form of someone's spouse and pretends that there's some affair going on with somebody and drives a a loyal husband to kill somebody who's innocent. The Air of Orcus first appeared in an adventure Anthony created for the Adventurer's League program, which is how a lot of game stores played pickup games of D&D before COVID-19. When you design for that organized play program, we're not allowed to make unique stat blocks. We have to use only published official stat blocks to portray villains and monsters in there. So I was unable to originally design her the way I wanted, but 
when I made this product as a collaborator with many other creators on the DMs Guild, I was actually able to bring her to full uh, life, if you will, the full vision of what she is. Anthony's full vision for the air spans multiple adventures called Verses. It's at this point I should say the next few minutes contain heavy spoilers for the series, so if you happen to be playing Anthony's adventures, fast forward to meet us again at around the 6 minute 10 second mark. Are they gone? Okay, let's do it. So in the Air of Orcus verse 2, I have the characters actually meet her for the first time. I want the characters to meet her when she was only a Cambian CR5, a low-level villain. But she was trapped in this temple, the Temple of Orcus. An angel had trapped her there, the, an angel of Tyr named Servindictus. And when the characters first meet her, they're going to this temple to try to rescue that fallen angel, Servindictus, who died. And the heir of Orcus takes her form and pleads with the characters to let her go. And Orcus, there's a big statue. He says, I want you to kill, kill that right there. Slay her in my name or I will, I will kill you. So I'm, I'm pulling on the character's heartstrings. Like the character should want to save the heir of Orcus. Orcus really does want his daughter to be killed. So maybe the characters feel bad about that. Like, oh my God, this demon lord wants to kill her. And so when they free her, she shows her true self. She turns against them and she tries to kill them and like kicks them out of the temple and, and escapes into the, the world. And the whole idea was as a character, you're responsible for releasing this villain into the world. So it's a mixture of at first pity uh, and then like, holy, holy crap, what do we do? We let this creature out into the multiverse and then uh, a mixture of vengeance because the characters want to right the wrong they did they want to kill this creature um, but as they learn or if they want to learn the story maybe they can feel some type of pity this creature was born from a demon lord and born from an angel and uh, the moment she came into the world daddy orcus wanted her dead the mother died during childbirth so you know what do we do so it really depends on what you want as a character the truth about her does exist in a tome that's been lost in the abyss. So if you're a DM and you're using this character in your story, uh, your characters can go down into the abyss, potentially find this tome and see what is her true name because no one knows her true name, but her name is in that book and her prophecy and what she's supposed to be about. And they say that she is meant to kill her father, the demon Lord Orcus, and kind of he could either take his place or if you go the redeemable route, maybe cleanse the multiverse of, of his evil. I think there's something very powerful about a, a villain who can be redeemed. To me, that is one of the strongest story arcs. The same way I think there's a very strong narrative story arc in a very pious or righteous person who falls. I think the inverse is true. So I was playing on that trope of bringing light and dark together to the embodiment of this character, the Aaron Workus, and kind of seeing how DMs or, or players would interact with her and their stories that they create. D&D as a tabletop game has been, since its inception, mostly about kicking down the door and killing the monster. The stories you'll find in Anthony's Heir of Orcus adventures completely reject that player-monster distinction. In these adventures, there are no clear answers, no villains so lost she can't be redeemed, and no heroes so noble they can't be corrupted. 
So I wanted to make a villain who doesn't put out a ton of damage. She's not super beefy, but she takes allies. She'll take your group of characters. If you come into her lair uh, with five you know, heroes, she's going to turn some of them against the party through her charms. And you're going to have to fight your best friend as a character. Like that is what she is about. She gave, she gets joy and she gains power from the conflict of going against your value. So, you know, if you come in there with, with best friends or your lovers in your party and now you're fighting them, you know, how do you react as a character? Are you going to land the killing blow? Are you going to knock them out? Are you going to cut their arm off? Meanwhile, that person who's charmed is going to be trying to kill you. It's a encounter and it's a villain who is a standalone and they don't need any minions because the minions are the characters that is the party. And that is the moral dilemma is in that fight, after it's all said and done, the heir of Orcus, I think, if she won and she converted two characters and had the other three die, I think she would let those two continue to live. She would just drop her charm and say, look at what you've done. And, you know, maybe that character breaks and then becomes a worshiper of hers or goes to the dark side and becomes evil because they have this innocent blood on their hands. That is what she wants to do. She wants to break people. And part of her method in doing that is turning them against the people closest to them. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. Many thanks also to my guest, Anthony Joyce. Here's how to get the Heir of Orcus, embodiment of betrayal and deceit in your game. If you want to find the Heir of Orcus, it's on Dungeon Master's Guild, period. That's the only place you can buy it from. But all my work is on my website as well. You can go through there. That's anthonydreams.com. And if you purchase through there, it's the same price, but it's an affiliate link for me. So I get a little bit extra support from you all. As a gift to listeners of this podcast, Anthony has also provided a free copy of The Heir of Orcus verses 1 and 2 to the first 50 Making a Monster listeners to use the discount link on the episode page at scintilla.studio slash monster. At the end of the day, we want more players to be dungeon masters themselves. So maybe this will inspire them to say, wow, I really like that idea. And let me try it out in an encounter. And believe me, you're going to want to try it out. These adventures are obsessively designed and come with all the maps, character art, and stat blocks you need to run them right out of the box. It's a beautiful 77-page PDF, and it's available to the first 50 listeners to claim it at scintilla.studio slash monster. That's S-C-I-N-T-I-L-L-A dot studio slash monster. Click on the article page for episode two. Just look for the amazing splash art of the heir of Orcus breaking her chains. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, the best way to do it right now is to leave a review wherever you happen to be listening. It only takes a minute or two, and it really helps future listeners take a chance on me and the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at Spark Otter and follow Anthony Joyce. You can find me on Twitter at Thrawn589, huge Star Wars fan. Be sure to tell him I sent you. Next time on Making a Monster. As you progressed forward, you came to this room where there was this big window out, and you realize you're like elevated above the ground and it's moving. So you kind of realize you're in this vehicle of some sort. And then this like mechatronic robotic head looks into it like it's peering down and looking through inside.